This is Doty Land. Conversations from the Madison Isthmus. Here is Gregory Humphrey. Well, hello there and welcome to another podcast from the Madison Isthmus on Doty Land. In 1988, I was campaigning with State Representative Larry Swoboda in the 1st Assembly District. Swoboda was the first Democrat to win in 100 years in that area of the state. We had a lot of people that we were stopping at in the rural parts of Kiwani County. And we had been doing this for a couple of hours, and Larry said, well, the next stop, it'll take a few more minutes than usual. And I said, well, how is that? The woman who we were stopping to see had always insisted that when Larry visited, he come in, sit at the table in the kitchen, have some coffee, and one of the baked goods that she always had made either in the oven or in the cookie jar. So that day we sat and we had coffee and cookies, and it was then I heard that she had actually seen Jack Kennedy in Green Bay in 1960, and I still recall her saying, I didn't get to touch him, but I got to see him. That's a fond memory, and those are the types of memories we should have about politics, uplifting and memorable. That's the type of interview I hope we have today with our guest who's coming up right after this. With me today is Marsha Rummel, an older woman from Madison and a Democratic candidate for the 76th Assembly District. Welcome to Doty Land, Marsha. Thank you. It's really a pleasure to be here with you in this new way that we're communicating with each other. Well, and I usually have people here in the, um, the, the home where I live at the table, the round table as we call it, but virtual interviews seems to be the best way to do things now during this pandemic. So I appreciate your time. Uh, I really, um, I know you're busy and I really appreciate you taking a few minutes for my listeners. You've been serving in government for many years. You've been not only on the city council, but before that you were involved with neighborhood issues and a president of a neighborhood association. For people that don't know you in the rest of the district, the assembly district, I'd like you to go back in time and explain how you came to understand that you had a role to play in public life, as opposed to going to movies or hanging out with friends. You're often at meetings, you're often taking on causes and doing things for others. How is it that you came to want to be involved in life that way with causes and politics? What's What started you out? Well, I grew up in Chicago, and I think I had a very um, big, under- big understanding of how the world works from growing up um, in the city, and actually in the city, when I moved here to go to college, people would ask me where, you know, if I live in the suburbs, like, no, I live in the city. And I lived actually on the south side. So I was, a, a, quote unquote, a minority person in some ways living as a white person on the south side of Chicago. So I think that really informed a lot of my politics. And I also came to Madison, which was a hotbed, even in, a little bit later than the 60s stuff when I got here. But it was certainly... Um, you know, lots going on as far as South Africa or all different kinds of topics. You know, the by, the by the time I was done with school, all the revolutions in 1979 happened. So I got really interested in sort of world politics as well as local politics. Um, I also grew up in a, a, a labor household and then ended up 
being a partner with somebody who was very involved in a union. So, you know, worker justice was part of my thing too. But yeah, I didn't necessarily start getting involved in my neighborhood right away, but eventually I got interested. I think my alder recruited me, My the former alder, Judy Olson, recruited me. And I started paying attention and coming to meetings and I became a planning geek. I really, Gregory, like planning. I started... And now I feel very proud of what I've done. I worked on the Capitol East Gateway Corridor Plan. I worked on starting TID 36. Now I'm I'm thinking what TID stands for, but, you know, to help pay for some of the improvements in this area. And then eventually Judy decided to step down. And it seemed by this point I was, as you mentioned, president of the Marquette Neighborhood Association and very engaged in... um, talking to neighbors and we were dealing with that first wave of uh, redevelopment and we live in a historic district. So what's the right balance between preserving our cultural heritage and these beautiful old buildings and making way for the the new and which is also needed. We need more housing. We need to revitalize some parts of our, you know, district. So yeah, I got involved um, through that and then became elected in 2007. So I've served on the Madison Common Council now for 13 years and, and have worked on a whole range of topics. So when you were in Chicago, were you a Cubbies fan or a White Sox fan? Well, growing up, I was a White Sox fan. I lived really close to uh, Kaminsky Park. It's, they renamed it since I grew up and moved away. But we would take the bus and go. My girlfriend, Pat, and my dad and I, we went to many games, although Pat and I just did what other kids do, which is run around the, you know, the, you know, the stairs and get popcorn and stuff. But it was fun. And then, you know, like I grew up and moved to Madison. And then, of course, I adopted all the Wisconsin teams. There you go. As you uh, are looking at the lay of the land for the state assembly race, what one or two issues resonated with you that made you determine that you were going to run for this seat and want to win so you could do something about the issues? What what one or two issues motivates you? Well, the current pandemic was the one I think that really made me think, like, we can't go back to the old normal. I know everyone's mourning for the old normal, where you could go sit in a restaurant and have coffee with your, you know, your family or friends. And, you know, who knows what exactly that will look like in the future, but it won't be what we experience. Now, so many people are upside down and not working and it's hitting women hardest. And I think just, you know, relying on, we now really know who the frontline essential workers are and we got to make sure we protect them. So that is really what's the, like the main motivating thing for me now is how to protect people and make sure they have safety nets and we have the services mostly from the feds, but also the state and local government to, to help help them recover and and then plan for a recovery that does try to address some of the gaps that we see in our health care system and and other kind of rulemaking and that affects people that we've seen and um, you you hit something that has really affected me and made me think uh over the last number of weeks here after 9 11 everybody in the nation came together we all sort of were united and i'm really just disheartened that a pandemic can be made into a partisan issue and so what you said just a moment ago resonates what can you say about where we are as a body politic that 
something where we all should be united on has seemed to splintered us depending on what side of the political aisle we align ourselves. Well, I think if you go bigger than just the partisan divide at the state capitol, I think a lot of people are generally willing to try and do what's necessary to protect each other and their families. So if you have the um, opportunity to work at home, people are doing that. If you don't, then we need to, you know, advocate for you to have the equipment and um, protections you need. And I think everyone's for that. I think over time we've learned to, how to go grocery shopping, you know, it just even seeing that change through the weeks and, and months has, you know, people are more wearing masks and I think that's more common and even some social you know, shaming if you're not like what you were, aren't you, you're, aren't you getting kind of close, you know, but I, I, so there is a divide though. I think some people just don't believe it. And, you know, I am, you know, there are some cynics, but I'm not, I'm not really one. I don't want that person to get sick. I don't, I really, okay. Don't believe it, but I really hope that you don't get sick and I will take care of you if you do. So for me, I think that's the bottom line is, you know, some would say, oh, it looks uneven. Yeah, it's uneven, but now it's global. So it's everywhere. And so even if you say in your rural part of the state, there's less, if you come travel to other places and go back, you could be bringing it. You might not get it, but you could be bringing it. So it's not like we live in isolation if you don't live in like a, a center like Madison. So I think we really need to do just take um, the care. And at some point that the, the the legislators did approve some uh, methods, so it is possible to imagine that they could work together. And now you probably know the Supreme Court just ruled against, uh, you know, in favor of reopening the state. But even how we go forward with what does that look like in creating a plan, I personally believe it needs to be statewide because the, the pandemic is international. And I concur with your thinking. I read this morning that 48% of the votes that were cast yesterday, uh, and we're recording this on a Wednesday, yesterday being Tuesday, when a special congressional election was held in northwestern Wisconsin, 48% of the people voted absentee. I'd like to get your impression of what you think the legislature enacted, uh, who are elected now, should enact for policy as we move to the November election of 2020. What do you have to say to them about having an all-male election come November. Well, we need to make sure the the post office can can do the job, you know, and make right. sure that the federal government provides the funding they need to do the job because we don't want ballots to be stuck somewhere undelivered or unreturned either one. Um, so there's that. Then there's like some of the rules about how it's hard you had to get the signature and you know how do you get a, a verification of something if you're not supposed to get close to each other well at the city you know we we did that curbside voting i never voted absentee and before now i love going to the poll i love seeing my neighbors and but this time like well i i i'm gonna do the curbside voting and so they 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 witnessed it for me, but that was an issue. Like, how do you get a witness, and how do you make sure you follow these rules? How do you upload your ID if you don't have adequate, you know? Well, most people do have those smartphones, but if you have to upload your photo to get a valid, you know, all that stuff is just you know something that we need to make sure we we can accomplish. I'm with you in terms of wanting to go on election day, see friends, vote, feel that sense of Americana, if you will, as you cast your ballot and put it into the machine. And then there's always the Girl Scout cookies that are being sold somewhere or there's something like that. And I miss 
as I did for the first time ever in April, voting absentee, and I missed that sort of all the other stuff that comes with voting. But I'm with you in terms of making sure that science and data-driven um, expertise is what guides us as a state. You mentioned something a minute ago, and I, I want to dig down just for a moment with it, and that happens to deal with people who have employment issues. Much of the consternation uh, that we've talked about in this country over the last number of weeks here are people that have their health coverage that joins with their job. And if something should happen to their job, what happens to their health coverage, and especially in a time of a pandemic. You deal with healthcare issues. You talk about that over the years. Can you talk about the layer of complexity that with a pandemic over the existing issue of healthcare in this country and what might we do in the state of Wisconsin to alleviate some of those uh, concerns for people who are impacted with employment woes due to the pandemic? Well, we need some kind of Medicare for all type of uh, program where it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't depend on your job. And right now there's like, as of last Last week, 33 million people in the country filed for unemployment. That is like at reaching the records of the Great Depression. And they didn't have health insurance then, but it's such a broken system, what we have now, that, that it's just really, I mean, it, we would have maybe done a lot better job at doing the front-end preventative testing and other um planning if we had had a more uh, a robust system that prepared for pandemics and, and the, I mean we don't want to think they're going to come but obviously we now know they can. One of the more troublesome outcomes of the present leadership in both the state assembly and the state senate happened when Governor Evers called for a special session on gun legislation, the red flag laws and the background checks, and both the state assembly and the state senate gaveled in and gaveled out. And if you look at polling data from not only in our assembly district, but across the state, and also not only Republicans, but Democrats, even NRA members, there is a high percentage of people that want changes in both of those areas of legislation. Can you speak to the background check issue, the red flag issue, and can I ask for your opinion on what you thought when they gaveled in and gaveled out? What was going through your head when you saw that on television? Well, it's kind of disgusting, really, when people, you know, I mean, well, one thing with the pandemic, there's not as many um, like mass shootings. I guess that's one benefit. But these mass shootings just grew and grew and grew. And it's just so it's irresponsible is what it is. It's irresponsible to not try and do some common sense changes that won't affect, you know, your constitutional rights to have a carry a weapon if that's what you want to do. But, you know, background checks and making it, stepping it up if you have like domestic violent episodes or other kind of ways to say, you know, we need to make it faster than, you know, turn it around faster and all of some of the other reforms that have been proposed, I would support, but it does just seem irresponsible and people are dying that they wouldn't even try to do any, any find any compromise to work together on. People sit around their kitchen tables and they talk about the gun issue. They talk about the lack of a transportation budget in the state of Wisconsin as potholes and failing bridges are all around us. And they wonder why state government can't do the big things, why we can't accomplish what we once did as a state. And I think some of that has to do with the way that state political boundaries are drawn. In Iowa, a commission, a nonpartisan commission outside of the state legislature, puts together what they view as appropriate lines for both 
the state senate and the assembly districts, and then the legislature has an up or down vote without adding amendments. Would you concur with that type of a commission for the state of Wisconsin? What are your thoughts on the way that political boundaries are currently drawn and where should we head in the future in relation to this issue? I think an independent commission like the one you described in Iowa is the definitely probably the best practice that we should work towards. Right now it's set up where the politicians pick their voters instead of the voters picking their politicians. Right. That's just, that's backwards. That's not democratic. That's not democracy. That That's just oligarchs keeping their power. I have another sort of good government question for you that comes from the editorial pages of the Wisconsin State Journal. They have, over time, editorialized that because the Supreme Court races in this state have become so politicized and that the Wisconsin manufacturers and commerce on the one hand, liberal advocacy groups on the other hand, pour large amounts of money in and try to buy either a conservative or a liberal, if you will, They have argued that perhaps we need to have a merit selection where a commission would put together five or ten names, a governor would select. This is like one option of how merit selection could work. And then the legislature could say yes or no, or perhaps in ten years there would be a vote up or down on that particular person, and then we would go forward uh, if the person failed to put another person in. In other words, we try to reduce the politicization of the Supreme Court races. Do you have any thoughts on what the editorial board thinks about when it comes to merit selection? I hadn't really thought about that potential, so I wouldn't want to study it a little more. I mean, it seems like historically we've, you know, it's not been that way, but um, doesn't mean what we've been doing is the right way. I would, I would want to learn more about it. You know, at some point, it's. I guess everything's fraught with something, right? You know, is that privilege? Is it the one percent only get picked? Um, So somebody couldn't, not that anybody can just come up from the ranks and win, you need to be an attorney and all that. But, you know, I I don't know. It's a a good discussion to have. Well, yeah, and I I thank you for framing it that way as opposed to just um, saying uh, no to it or yes to it. I think that part of the problems that we have in our state, we become so tribalized one side or the other, and we don't ever reach across and try to explore issues from both sides or find a compromise in the middle. So I appreciate your candor on that. When it comes to what a legislator would look like, the leadership role that a legislator should have if you were to be elected, do you think that it is best to just amass the feelings of your constituents and vote as the majority does? Or could you see yourself amassing facts and figures, talking with the experts, doing your reading, pondering it, and perhaps come to a different conclusion than the majority of your constituents and then try to lead them into seeing the evidence as you do and perhaps casting your ballot in a different direction than the majority which which way do you think or, or perhaps both ways i'm just trying to find out what how do you view your role as a legislator if you were to be elected when you say that i start to think when every now and then a journalist will call and say what does the neighborhood think like well i didn't talk to everybody <laughs> in the neighborhood so when you say well you know take the majority of people, I don't know that I hear from the majority of people or, or that our current representative does. Um, certainly, I know, you know, there's general understanding of our values based on, you know, history and all that. So I definitely want to do my um, due diligence on any issue. I want to make sure I hear, listen to all sides and 
because I've done that as a, an elected official, as an alder, you know, I try to hear and maybe there's an element that I hadn't thought about that I would want to incorporate. So I, I would always do that. Um, but sometimes, you know, on the other part, when I think about my experience as an alder, there's always the people say, well, you know, you have to represent the city. You know, in my experience as being an alder, and like, well, no, actually, I represent the people that vote for me. So it kind of goes both back both ways. Like, yeah, I do represent the people, and I, I think I do a good job, and I think a lot of people like that I listen to them and represent them. And sometimes, you know, I don't vote the popular way, or you know, and I get eye rolls sometimes, but you know, that's okay. I, I try to do what I think is the best and use my best judgment, which is what people elect me to use. Each person who is being interviewed for the assembly seat in these interviews, I'm concluding by asking the following question. So what book is now on your table or sofa that you're currently reading? Well, that's an unfair question because <laughs> there's a pile of books on my table and Really, the one I read the most is the, like the Sunday New York Times, because that's piling up too. And so I haven't really been reading books. I look at them, and I even buy books, thinking, oh, I'll just put it on the pile. But I, I like to read things about politics, about racial justice, about how to organize for power. Uh, I have Michelle Obama's book that was lent to me that I better read in return. Um, <laughs> I love that one. And... There are lots of things. I read a lot of articles. I, you know, I, I kind of, st a student on Facebook reading articles, I now decided I needed to support online journalism. So I read, I pay more money for that than I thought I would because, you know, if it's like five bucks a month, okay, I'll support like a couple, several different ones and read what's going on. So I do read a lot, but there's not a book that I'm reading right now that I could probably tell you about. Well, and that's, kind of where I am in terms of a couple things. The Michelle Obama book, James gave me that for Christmas. It sits on a, a shelf, but there's so many books. And part of the joy of loving books, and I know that you do, and that you, um, you care a lot about authors and good journalism, as you have just indicated, is the, the joy of buying books and knowing there's never going to be a rainy day when you're going to be bored. There's always going to be something somewhere in your home to read. And you, you've got that kind of inquisitive mind. I want to thank you for very much for your time here and sitting for an interview and talking to uh, your voters. I do appreciate it, Marsha. I really appreciate you and um, your, the opportunity you provided. And I look forward to seeing you as I uh, wander by your outdoor porch. Well, that's right. And I should say for my listeners that Marsha and I are not strangers. Uh, we've had many a good conversation in the Anirodak chairs out on the front lawn. And I'm hoping at some point that we again can converse uh, without masks, maybe, with a vaccine that'll be uh, hopefully in the near future, and then also just to be able to sit and converse without self-distancing. So thank you again, and have a great evening. Thank you. You too. You can find out more about today's guest and related material and contact information on the Doty Land Facebook page. Please join and become a friend. And thank you for joining us today on Doty Land. Mm -hmm.